Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Monday, February 27th slate of college basketball DFS that will have contests on DraftKings as well as FanDuel. This is the last week of the regular season for college basketball. So this is really the last week that we're going to get in terms of like big time slates with a lot of big time teams playing at the same time. Um, Conference tournament week and obviously the NCAA tournament, they're going to have contests as well, but they'll be a little bit different. So this is kind of the last normal week of college basketball but the FS. So it is a great time to take advantage. Um, Last week, we had a really good weekend with the picks, y'all. Not only did I have a profit weekend myself, but a lot of the listeners, a lot of people who subscribe to the Patreon had success by taking some of the advice here on the podcast as well. Hopefully, I didn't just totally jinx our hot streak by mentioning it on the podcast, but just saying, it's been a good week, so hopefully we can keep it rolling here with this last week of the regular season. Now, in terms of the content schedule for the rest of the week, tomorrow night I will be on here to talk about golf with the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So if you want to play some DFS golf or you know make some bets or you know play one and done for golf, then that is where you will find all of that information. All of my thoughts for the Tuesday college basketball slate will be going up on Twitter, so make sure you do follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. I will be tweeting out the thoughts on the Tuesday slate as opposed to you know, doing a podcast for it. But then I will be having content for the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night DFS college basketball slates. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so that way you'll know when new episodes drop. And if you like what you're hearing, or if, you know, this podcast has helped you out and become a better college basketball DFS player, hit the rate and review button. It really does help me out a lot. All right, enough with the introductions. Let's go ahead and start breaking down this final big Monday slate. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. So it is a small, big Monday slate, I guess you could say. Um, We've got a four-game slate on DraftKings and a three-game slate on FanDuel because FanDuel just said, screw the mid-majors, apparently. Um, And so on DraftKings, the game that is there that is not on FanDuel is Nevada at Wyoming. Um, In terms of these four games, though, talking about the whole four-game slate as opposed to just three-game slate, there is one game that stands above the rest to target, and that is UNC at Florida State. The total in that game is projected to be 152. Ken Palm has that game as UNC 81-72, to Um, so there's definitely going to be a lot of points scored. Both these teams like to push the tempo. And that will be the best game environment for fantasy purposes on Monday night. Now, the second highest total is going to be Baylor at Oklahoma State. That one is projected to be 143. Ken Palm has that game as Baylor 73 to 72. Now, Oklahoma State, kind of as the season has gone on, and I guess this kind of coincides with Avery Anderson getting hurt. They've really decided to push the tempo lately. They played four straight games that have scored over 140 total points. And the previous meeting between these two teams was a 74-58 Baylor win. Now, one thing that might affect the line on this game as well as the um, game environment is that there is no Keontae George from Baylor that did come down the pipeline about four or five hours ago. So that will definitely have an effect on how this game plays out. The third highest total is the one that is not on FanDuel, and that's Nevada at Wyoming. Vegas has the total at 138. Kempom has it as Nevada 74 to 67. Uh, I don't think this is the best environment, though, I'll be honest. Both these teams are outside of the top 250 in the nation in tempo, according to Ken Palm. And Nevada is a much less effective offensive team on the road as opposed to at home. They score about five points per game less on the road than at home. So definitely not the best environment there. And the last one... This one kind of shocks me how low the totals are. It's West Virginia at Iowa State. The total is 134.5. Ken Palm has it as Iowa State 69 to 67. The previous meeting was 76 to 71 West Virginia. 
Uh, West Virginia is kind of a team that can push the tempo, especially depending on their opponent. Iowa State is a team that tends to kind of turn games into rock fights. But with the previous game between these two teams scoring 147 points, I did kind of expect the total on this one to be higher. So the remaining three games, there's not really that much of a difference in the total. UNC at Florida State definitely stands out as the best game environment. All right, so that does it for the game analysis. Let's talk about some guards. So the highest priced guard on the board on DraftKings is Hunter Maldonado of Wyoming. And we talked about him at length on the Friday slate. He has an absolutely insane usage since Noah Reynolds left the Wyoming program. And if you're playing him, you're betting on the usage as opposed to anything he actually has in his game log, except for now his Friday night performances in his game log where he delivered with 42 fantasy points at very low ownership. I think that will be the same situation again tonight. The usage is going to continue and he's going to not be highly owned because of how expensive he is. I think people will pay up for other players. And so I think this is probably a fairly solid spot to play Maldonado in DFS, right? Now, the only thing that does worry me is that this is a much better defensive team than he played Friday night. Nevada is 36 in the nation in defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. Um, so it's definitely not the best matchup like Colorado State was on Friday. However, I got to go back to it. The usage rate is just outstanding for Maldonado. He's got 26% usage at least in six straight games. And so I don't mind paying up for him. I think he will be low owned. I don't necessarily know if he gives you like the legitimate the five to six times upside as some of the other guys up here, but I definitely could see him getting you good value because of that high usage rate. Matthew Cleveland of Florida State is someone that I could honestly go either way on. So let's recap how the week went for him. He missed a game due to injury, and then he came back from that injury against Miami and had an absolutely great game environment. There was almost 190 points scored in that game. And he didn't really do a whole lot with it. He played five minutes less than his season average, which could be a result from, you know, coming back from injury, and only had 27.8 fantasy points, which won't kill you, but it's not exactly what you would expect from one of the biggest producers in a great game environment. So all that is kind of going against him, as well as the fact that Carolina is a great rebounding team. And Matthew Cleveland is somebody who needs rebounds to have productive fantasy outputs. He averages 7.7 rebounds a game. So he's got all that going against him, right? Now, here's the pros. In that Miami game, he still got 15 shots, and he still had a 29% usage rate. So kind of like the same argument with Maldonado, if you trust the usage, if you trust the shot percentage, I definitely could see this being a good night for Matthew Cleveland in a great game environment. So I think that it could definitely go either way. I like his price on FanDuel a lot more than I like his price on DraftKings. So I will probably be more likely to play him on there where it carries a little bit less risk. But I could kind of see the argument either way. If you value recent history and matchup, then you're going to fade him. If you value usage rate and you know long-term performance, you're probably going to play him. Now, on the other side of that game, we've got R.J. Davis and Kevin, or Caleb Love. I almost called him Kevin Love. R.J. Davis and Caleb Love of North Carolina. They're both playable, in my opinion, in this game where their team is projected 81 points per Ken Palm. I think R.J. Davis is a little bit of a safer play. He gives you a higher floor because of all the peripheral stats that he puts up, and he's generally a more efficient shooter. Um, Caleb Love shoots the ball more, but they don't always go in as much. And so Caleb Love has a 3% higher usage rate than R.J. Davis and takes 5% more shots than R.J. Davis. So I think he does give you a little bit of a 
higher ceiling if he happens to be efficient in terms of scoring the basketball. I think they're both kind of equally not great matchups for Florida State. Uh, Florida State hasn't really done well, you know, containing small guards this season. Um, we just saw Bensley Joseph had a really successful game. We just saw, um, what's the guy's name? Isaiah Wong for Miami. He had a pretty decent game as well. So we're just looking at a matchup here where um, Florida State is not a great defensive team, and these two guys can really pile it up when they are going. Now, Eric Stevenson of West Virginia proved me wrong on Saturday. I talked about his home road splits on my Twitter analysis of the Saturday afternoon slate. He had previously not really had a boom game on the road, whereas all of his best performances were coming at home. Well, he corrected that immediately on Saturday. He had 38 fantasy points against Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse. Um, the one thing that worries me in this one, though, he's now showed us that he can produce in any environment, right? But... Iowa State was not a good spot for him the first time these two teams played. He was one for six from the field and only had 15 fantasy points against Iowa State in that first matchup. So I would not be inclined to click Eric Stevenson in this one. I still have the mindset that he should be priced much lower than he is. FanDuel had him priced appropriately, in my opinion, but after the big game against Kansas, now he is at a price that I'm no longer willing to pay. So it's probably going to be a fade for me on Eric Stevenson Monday night. Now for Baylor, we mentioned the absence of Keontae George, and I got to be honest, I don't think that Adam Flagler is going to be the best candidate to replace the production of Keontae George. They're just not similar players. Keontae George is kind of a ball-dominant isolation-type guard, and Adam Flagler is more of a off-ball, coming-off screens, coming-off dribble handoffs, or you know, even drive-and-kick, you know, catch-and-shoot type of guard. And I just don't think that you know that's apples-to-apples comparison. And, you know, the stats in the Texas game kind of backed that up. Keontae George went out about six minutes into the game, I believe it was. And Adam Flagler only had a 21% usage rate over the whole 40 minutes of that game. His season averages 23% usage. So Keontae George going out actually made Adam Flagler have less usage than average, which is not good. However, one argument that I think you could make for Adam Flagler is that he is due for shooting regression. He is a combined 6-for-26 from the floor in his last two games, uh, and I definitely think that is going to turn around for a guy who shoots the ball as well as Adam Flagler. Now, will it turn around Monday night? I don't know, but I think he is due for some regression to the mean at some point. Now, while we're talking about the Baylor guys, LJ Cryer did not see increased usage uh, against Texas either. He is another one like Flagler. I think Cryer is more dependent on catch-and-shoot plays, um, so he's definitely not going to be filling in the same role in the offense that Keontae George was filling in. Now, Nevada's Keenan Blackshear for this slate is the king of the peripheral stats. In his last two games, he's had 27 and 28 fantasy points, which are not terrible, and he took seven shots in each of those games. So he got to those totals without shooting the ball much at all. And I think this is a pretty good spot for him against Wyoming. I don't think it's a good tempo matchup, but I don't think Wyoming has a natural defender for him. You know, he's just a bigger guard who, who kind of does a little bit of everything. And I don't think Wyoming really has a guy that's going to match up well with him. So uh, I could definitely see this being a pretty good spot for Keenan Blackshear. Now, of the two FSU guards that are in the 7K range on DraftKings, I am more inclined to play Darren Green. Darren Green has taken a total of 35 shots combined in their past two games. Uh, and anytime a guy's averaging 17.5 shots per game, I definitely think that's worth putting some investment in. Now, of the Iowa State guards, I got to be honest, I would prefer Jaron Holmes. 
He consistently has the best usage rate on the team, and he actually did really well against West Virginia in their first matchup. He had 34.3 fantasy points. Um, I just think that the history against West Virginia, the season-long usage rate, I would much prefer him over Tim and Lipsy uh, in both DraftKings and FanDuel. I think Holmes is actually particularly affordable on FanDuel. Now, we mentioned earlier about how Adam Flagler should be due for some shooting regression. The other guy that should be due for shooting regression is Jared Lucas of Nevada. Um, he hasn't shot over 30% from the field in four straight games, and he's taken at least nine shots in all four of those games. So it's not stopping him from shooting the ball, I can tell you that much, but it's limiting his fantasy production. And so his price has kind of gone down a little bit. Um, his usage rate staying about the same. And so I think this could be a solid spot to invest in Jared Lucas and be early to the regression as opposed to late to it. For the Oklahoma State guys, we got Avery Anderson out again, which means that some combination of Bryce Thompson, Caleb Asbury, and John Michael Wright are going to score fantasy points. But good luck figuring out which one's going to go off. I got to be honest, I've struggled to figure out this situation pretty much every game. At the start of it, I was just locking in Bryce Thompson every game, and it worked quite well until it didn't. And Caleb Asbury is the one that had the big game on Saturday. Now, if we're talking about the statistical profile of it, right? Caleb Asbury's hit 20% usage in back-to-back games. His season average is 17%. So maybe Asbury is trending upwards a little bit, right? But Bryce Thompson still has the better long-term usage numbers, and he's the more talented player in my opinion. You know, Bryce Thompson transferred to Oklahoma State from Kansas, whereas Caleb Asbury transferred to Oklahoma State from Texas State. Um, so just, you know, coming out of high school, there was a clear talent disparity between those two guys, right? And so... I don't know. I, I don't feel confident enough one way or the other to say which one is going to go off. It might be John Michael Wright, who I've just mentioned once so far. And But I do know is that the Baylor defense is not as, as like stout as it usually is. It's not something to fear or to stay away from. It's going to be a good environment for these Oklahoma State guys. And there's going to be DraftKings points to be had. There's going to be high usage rates among all three of them. I just don't know which one it's going to be. I guess if I had to pick one, I would probably say Bryce Thompson. But if I'm building a full lineup – it might just be a situation where, oh, I can save a few hundred bucks by going down from Thompson to Asbury. I'm going to do that. So uh, I definitely think Asbury will probably be the guy that ends up with more ownership because of that. All right, now let's transition on over to the rest of the 5K range because I'll be honest, there's a lot of solid plays in this 5K range. One of them is Brendan Wenzel of Wyoming. We've talked about on the podcast before how Wyoming's pretty much only playing five guys now. Well, Wenzel turned all those minutes that he'd been getting into some big-time production Friday night against Colorado State when he had 33.3 fantasy points. I think he has the potential to do it again. You know, big minutes could turn into big production every time. Florida State's Jalen Jalen Warley. Dang, that was a harder name to say than I thought. Jalen Warley seems to have taken back the starting point guard role for FSU. He is playing significantly more minutes than teammate Chandler Jackson, although when Chandler Jackson's in there, Jackson has a great usage rate. However, Warley getting all the minutes really does kind of cap Jackson's ceiling. Between the two of them, I would rather play Warley, but I definitely understand Jackson as a GPP-type play. Now, speaking of GPP-type plays, well, actually, really all-format plays, Langston Love and Dale Bonner are going to be the beneficiaries of the Keontae George injury for Baylor. However, I would say I definitely lean more Dale Bonner after watching this game on Saturday. Yeah, because it's a Texas game. I watched every minute, and it was very frustrating. Anyway, Dale Bonner had 12 combined minutes in his last three games. 
and he played 20 minutes against Texas. He had a 28% usage rate, and he scored 22.5 fantasy points. He was the dude with the ball in his hands, operating the offense like he was Keontae George. And so I definitely think that that makes him the guy you want to play if you're looking to take advantage of the Keontae George injury. However, as we say with DFS a lot, Sometimes just because a guy is the best play doesn't mean he's actually the best play because he's going to be highly owned. And he's, you know, if he doesn't do well, then you're going to be kind of screwed. And so maybe if you're playing in a GPP, pivoting to Langston Love wouldn't be such a bad idea, especially considering the price difference isn't all that much. So I could see playing either of them. Uh, I definitely think that Bonner on paper makes the most sense, but Love definitely I could see being used as a leverage play. All right, that does it for the guard position here on this slate. Let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fellas. All right, I can tell you how all these teams' lineups look. This is going to be a much shorter segment for the forwards than the guard position. I promise, there's just not as many of them. However, the top guy on the board is the only guy on the slate priced above $10,000 on DraftKings, and that is Armando Baycott of North Carolina. Now, I absolutely understand the concern behind paying up for Baycott. He hasn't been over four times value in nine straight games, and that is quite the impressive streak for a guy who seems to still get plenty of shot attempts and is a threat for a double-double every time he touches the floor. Honestly, though, I think this Monday night makes for a good night to play him just for lineup construction reasons, right? Like I just mentioned all those guards, there's a whole lot of value at the guard position that have a lot of potential. So if you play your values at the guard spot, you're going to have room to pay up for a guy like Armando Baycott. Now let's also talk about the matchup. FSU, I believe, is a very good matchup for big men. They're 83rd in the nation in tempo, so you're going to get a bonus in terms of how many possessions you get. They are 244th in defense efficiency, so they're going to get a lot of points scored on them. And they're 318th in offensive rebound percentage. You know who gets a lot of offensive rebounds? Armando Baycott. So I actually think this is a really good spot for him, and I could see this being a ceiling game for him. Now, while I'm here, you know who else all those stats about Florida State apply to? Pete Nance. He has back-to-back games of 32 fancy points or more, and he has double-digit shots in both those games. He's looked really good in these last two North Carolina wins. He's starting to look like what they thought they were getting in the offseason when it was such a big deal that he transferred from Northwestern. I know he was supposed to be the replacement for Brady Manick. They're not quite exactly the same type of player, but he's starting to kind of fill in that role a little bit more as he's shooting the three a little bit more, kind of spacing out the offense a little bit. Now, I will say Nance is especially affordable on FanDuel, and I could see Nance and Baycott, I could see stacking them together, or I could see playing Nance as a leverage play against people playing Baycott, but I definitely think both of them are in a great spot against a very weak FSU defensive team. Now for Nevada, Darion Williams has been a much more consistent performer than Will Baker. Um, Will Baker generally excels in two situations, when he's at home and when he has a height advantage. Well, this game's on the road, and Hunter Thompson is close to being a seven-footer as well. So on paper, this doesn't look like a good spot for Will Baker. This looks like a better spot for Darion Williams. However, here's the counterargument. I talked about this with Hunter Maldonado. I talked about this with Bryce Thompson. If you're looking at season-long usage, Baker still has had a better usage rate in each of the last five games than Darion Williams. In fact, Baker's had over a 25% usage rate in all five of those games. So if you're going to bet on the usage, Baker's a guy you want to be putting your money into. And because of everything that I just said earlier, I don't think he's going to be very highly owned. So I think that, honestly, on paper, not a good play. In DFS and GPP, probably a solid play that gives you a chance to win, even if he doesn't end up playing that well. 
All right, now looking down the board, Baylor's Jalen Bridges is another guy who appeared to benefit as a result of Keontae George's injury. He really just filled up the entire stat sheet against Texas. He only had a 19% usage rate. It felt like more than that watching it. It seemed like he was making plays on both sides of the floor and just was all over the place. And he is a guy that can benefit from that injury and probably will see an increase in usage from that 19%. I think he's in a great spot against Oklahoma State. Now let's talk about West Virginia's front court. So they had Muhammad Waggy injured, and it appears that Bob Huggins is kind of phasing out Jimmy Bell and James Aconquo. West Virginia's offense in its last five or so games has been much more effective when it is Trey Mitchell at the five and Emmett Matthews at the four. And the reason why is because both of those guys can shoot threes. And so you can run more floor spacing type of offenses. You can, you know, spread the floor, go five out, bring other teams' bigs out on the perimeter and get mismatches for Eric Stevenson and Keetrian Johnson. And so I think that that is kind of going to be the path to go in this game as well. Um, both of Iowa State's big men, Jazz Koontz and Asuna Suni, don't exactly excel being out on the perimeter. So I could see this being a very good spot for Trey Mitchell and Emmett Matthews, especially if they are the main two guys getting minutes, which they have been recently. And so I'm okay with playing both Mitchell or Matthews against um, Iowa State. If you're looking at the last time that they played Iowa State, Emmett Matthews had 30 fancy points in that game. Trey Mitchell had 17 fancy points in that game. That was when Trey Mitchell was kind of in the doghouse with Bob Huggins. I don't think he's there anymore. He's been great recently. I have no problem playing either Mitchell or Matthews from that West Virginia front court. Now, Friday night, we talked about Wyoming a lot, and I very much hyped up Jeremiah Oden. Well, we got kind of unlucky on that one. I'm willing to write that one off as foul trouble. Uh, Jeremiah Oden Friday night only played 20 minutes. He was three for three from the field, and he fouled out. And that was his first game under 20 fantasy points since Wyoming lost their two guys for the season. So I'm kind of willing to go back to the well on Jeremiah Oden, and I think the ownership will be lower because of the unsuccessful night Friday night. Now, I mentioned him earlier, but Jazz Koontz of Iowa State is a very hit-or-miss play. Basically, when he came back from injury, and this kind of coincided a little bit with Caleb Grill's injury as well, but Caleb Grill is back now also. What basically happened is Iowa State says, okay, we've got one role in our offense where one guy is just going to stand in a corner and hit corner threes. And it was Caleb Grill for a while Jazz Coons was hurt. And since Jazz Coons got back, it's, well, if I can have a 6'4 guy shooting corner threes, I might as well get a 6'10 guy shooting corner threes for whatever reason. And so they put Jazz Coons over there in that role. And that's pretty much what he does. He kind of stands in a corner and jacks threes. Because he is tall, he can get you some rebounds on the defensive end. But with Asuna Suni on the floor, he's not being asked to guard the other team's center. It usually ends up being a stretch four or maybe even like a, a small ball forward guard type of player, right? Now, I don't think this is going to be the best night for him offensively because West Virginia is 153rd in defensive three-point percentage. Um, and last time against West Virginia, he didn't do so hot. He had 10.8 fantasy points in 18 minutes. And like I said, he doesn't give you a whole lot other than scoring. He's not the most consistent three-point shooter. Um, but when he gets hot, when he gets going, he can give you a good night. And so... Um, I would probably say he would be a decent low-owned GPP play, but I don't think that ever anything sets up on paper for him to be a good play Monday night. Leaky Black in North Carolina is one of the kings of peripheral stats in college basketball. He's right there with Andre Jackson Jr. of UConn. Now, I think he's in a pretty good spot in this Florida State game. It's tempo up, so there's going to be a lot of possessions, a lot of opportunity for him to get defensive rebounds because Florida State's not a particularly good offensive rebounding team. Take the rebound, 
get it up the court, get, get in a quick assist, and I think this could be a really good night for Leaky Black. I really do like pairing him with Baycott or pairing him with one of the guards, Davis or Love. Now, Nevada's Trey Coleman is worth monitoring. He's played at least 32 minutes in four straight games. And kind of like with Brandon Wenzel, sometimes minutes will eventually turn into production. I'm not saying that that's a guarantee because it isn't always a guarantee. There's still some cardio kings out there, but it's definitely worth looking into. Hunter Thompson of Wyoming is going to be asked to play big minutes in the post against Will Baker. I could see that being a big performance for him just because he's going to have to be out on the floor. And if Will Baker is attempting a lot of shots from the post, that's going to give Hunter Thompson a lot of opportunities for blocks and a lot of opportunities for rebounds. However, it also is going to give him a lot of opportunities to get in foul trouble. Now, Florida State's big men, Corin Miller and McLeod, are incredibly unpredictable. They're one of the most unpredictable front court rotations uh, that I've seen in college basketball DFS this year. I probably won't play any of them. If I do, it would just be as a dart throw value play in a GPP. I could honestly see this being a big Naheem McLeod game, though. You know, he's he's over seven feet tall. He's a, just a huge guy. He seems like he's next in the line of Florida State, you know, having these seven-footers that just kind of always end up getting dunked on. Um Purdue and Florida State always seem to have a seven-footer on their roster. With, with Purdue, they're usually European. With Florida State, they're usually African, but I don't think Naheem McLeod is. I'm erasing that from the podcast. He is well over seven feet tall, which it seems like FSU always has a guy that's over seven feet tall, and they're usually on Sports Center getting dunked on. It seems like the two schools that always have a seven-footer are Purdue and Florida State. But anyway, I could see this being a big game for him because they're going to have to do something with Armando Baycott down low. And Armando Baycott's not a guy that's going to pull you out to the perimeter. Um, he's not a guy that's going to, like, shoot over you. So I definitely think that playing a seven-footer against him might be kind of the move for Leonard Hamilton in Florida State. So I could I could see the reasoning for this being a big Naheem McLeod game. The only problem is when you look at his game log, when you look at their usage rates, when you look at the box scores, there's no rhyme or reason to when it is a Naheem McLeod game. Just all of a sudden it is for no reason. And so I, I don't really know if I'd be willing to guarantee that. But like I said, I think all three of them, they're going to have to play minutes against Armando Baycott. Cameron Corrin, Baba Miller, Naheem McLeod, they're all dart throw value plays. I guess I could see it being a McLeod game. But like I said, I'm not overly rushing to this situation at all. I think there's enough value at the guard position um, that you shouldn't need to play these guys deep down here at the forward spots. So that does it for the forward position, and that does it for the analysis of the Monday, February 27th slate. If you want to see how I put all that information together into my lineups, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. And if you like what you heard this episode, make sure you rate and review it. It really does help me out a lot. And remember, tomorrow I will be back here on the podcast talking about golf, talking about this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational, which should be a good one. If you want my thoughts on the Tuesday college basketball slate, well, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. They will be dropping on there well before lineup lock. And lastly, hit that subscribe button to the podcast. That way you'll be notified when new episodes drop. So you can be the first to listen to tomorrow's golf episode or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday's college basketball episode. All right. So best of luck to everybody in their DFS endeavors Monday night. Here's hoping that we can keep our hot streak rolling, and I'm hoping that my analysis can help keep your hot streak rolling if you have a hot streak. So that does it for this episode, guys. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time. Mm-hmm.